On today's edition of the Locked On Nets podcast, Josh Bass and Marcus Barahal talk about the end of the Rondé Hollis Jefferson era, recap the conclusion of the NBA Finals, and talk about the Anthony Davis blockbuster to the Lakers. All that and more coming up on Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back with another edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. I am your host, Josh Bass. Joining me as always is my fearless co-host, Marcus Barahal, to get you up to date on the Nets news. Uh, Our most recent podcast that you guys heard was, uh, we were actually in the riding shotgun. I don't know if we can both ride shotgun. While our boy Gavin Shaw from Locked on Knicks hosted, we heard very mixed reviews. Some people thought that I was a much better host than Gavin, which, listen, I don't want to slander Gavin, but uh, I can definitely uh, see where they were coming from. So (laughs) continue to tweet at him, at Gavin Shaw, with your constructive feedback. He he, uh, let Marcus and I know that he very much appreciates it. Yeah, he he always loves getting tweets, so send them his way. You know, Josh thought you did a great job. I was sitting in your lap for our shotgun trip, so happy to be there. Yeah, no, it, uh, my leg got a little sore by the end of it. I tried it to shift a, my weight, but you know, it was it was a long podcast. We usually don't do that long. We our brand is twenty three to twenty eight minutes, and we <laughs> hold to it pretty steadfastly. Amen. We're like a sitcom, you know. Exactly. We need a just um, a live studio audience with us. It's true. Maybe one day. Exactly. Maybe one day when the Nets win a championship, uh, Marcus. We have a lot to catch up on. There's been been a lot of big news in the NBA. First, just want to close the loop on the NBA Finals. Obviously, congrats to our neighbors up north, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Sean Woodley and the gang. I think he he has either had a book come out or he's writing a book right now on the Raptors' big championship run. And for me, I don't know. I was rooting for the Warriors, but it was just like when the Raptors finally won, I felt so happy for them. You have all these guys that really deserved it. And it's great to see some parity in the league, especially a team like the Raptors where they didn't tear it back down, uh, kind of bringing a superstar homegrown. They were able to build a decent team, then retool it with the trade for Kawhi, have some acquisitions in the middle of the year, bringing on a guy like Marc Gasol, the emergence of Pascal Siakam, who was very um, not widely known outside of hardcore NBA circles up until this season. It really is a feel-good story. Yeah, and obviously like you feel bad for Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant the way that they went down, but... Like you said, it is mm-hmm. good to see uh, some new blood, I guess, uh, in the parade circle. Kawhi uh, put on a great show at the parade today with his uh, his cigar and his board man gets paid t-shirt. So shout out to him. Shout out to my guy, Pascal Siakam. And then just guys like Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, who I feel like kind of deserve to get mm-hmm. a title. And it's like good to see those guys. Kyle Lowry, too. Van uh, Fleet. Of course, Fred Van Vliet, the low-key. got one MVP vote from Hubie Brown. So shout out to Hubie on that yeah. one. What about our boy Jay Lynn also? Yeah, former Net and former Nick. So the whole city of New York can kind of rejoice that Jeremy Lynn is now an NBA champion. Uh, very happy for Jeremy. Yeah, he's one of the people I'm most happy for just because he's such a good dude. And uh, it sucked that things didn't work out in Brooklyn because I think when he was on the court, he was actually a really exciting player to watch and added a nice steadiness to those Nets teams that were, for the most part, a disaster. Not like the fun upstart team that we had this past year. 
Um, yeah, no, I, I think it, it's good to see. Obviously, you hate to see what happened to Clay and KD, and it's going to really throw a wrench um, in, in their careers. Obviously, it looks like they're still going to get a lot of financial security this season, this offseason, which is great. Um, but really, things are, are kind of up in the air right now. The West is is up in flux. Obviously, we're going to talk about the big Anthony Davis trade to the Lakers. But given uh, someone like Kawhi, potentially, you know, who knows if he's going to stay to with Toronto. He was pretty cryptic when Doris was interviewing after him after the championship. If he were to go to, let's say, a team like the Clippers, there really is a huge void in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, you have Milwaukee as kind of um, a big contender, Philly as well, with just their raw talent. But there is a void for maybe a team like whether it be the Nets, the Knicks, if they hit the lottery with free agent signings to emerge into that uh, Eastern Conference elite. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it even, I think, a few weeks ago where other than Milwaukee, it was kind of tough to see who would be in that like top two in the East next year. And I think it's probably even tougher now and in the West, too, like with those guys going down for Golden State with this Davis trade, with the Rockets like seemingly crumbling, like... I have no clue who's going to be in the conference finals next year. Like, I, I kind of expect Milwaukee to be. Other than that, I don't know who those other three teams are going to be. So that's super exciting for the league, and I think it's something mm-hmm. that obviously like hasn't been seen in the last few years. Yeah, is this the mo- most wide open that it's ever been? Like, I can't, Because I think probably of all time, I think things are increasingly more uncertain just given uh, the constant player movement and, and guys really forcing their way out. So with that being said, I think this is probably the most uncertain time in the league history, uh, and I'm, I think if you took a snapshot of the odds now for the championship and then compared it at the end of the next season, it's going to look so, I think there's going to be teams in the top five or seven that probably don't even make the playoffs. Yeah, it's crazy, because I mean, especially like, even game to game, the increase in like three-pointers has kind of made those like lower teams like able to win at any point. Like I think Phoenix beat Golden State, like you see teams like the Kings like kind of coming out of nowhere. And so, yeah, I think like even before all these injuries and trades and all the free agency stuff that hasn't even happened yet, I think that it was already like kind of things were shifting and things were kind of becoming more and more unpredictable game to game. And now it seems like on a macro level, that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, no, it's it's it is fascinating. I think that's from it it makes it exciting to talk about. But I almost don't like the uncertainty. I like (laughs) knowing like there's going to be some minor changes every kind of every year but for the most part the good teams are going to be good and the bad teams are going to be bad um because i think that favors a, a group like the nets where they have a really strong even though both of of them are early in their tenure a really strong gm and coach in sean marks and kenny atkinson and i think that stability it's something that i cherish in my own personal life i love i love stability so i want that in my basketball team and in the league that i follow just because you know I think it, it's funny because I think you kind of feel the same way. I used to be a huge, huge sports fan, but both baseball and football year after year get less and less interesting for me. And now it's just basketball. Um, and, and I want kind of the the chaos is great and the kind of the Twitter and all the drama and David Locke's going to kill me for saying this. <laughs> but I, I want it to be less drama. I want it to be curved back a little bit. I don't want when, when breaking news is happening every day and then I have 10 new podcasts to listen to. I really want to... Uh, to cut down on that yeah I think like baseball kind of was like the first year round sport in a way like you had the full really like way too long season and then uh winter hot meetings stove. and stuff like that yeah the hot stove and the spring training starts so early that that was kind of year round then the NFL kind of went that way and it's like there's training camps and OTAs and all that stuff and the draft in April obviously 
And then now the NBA has like really, other than like late July and early August, there's like stuff happening all the time. And it does get kind of overwhelming. I get what you're talking about. And I've definitely fallen into that same thing of that you have, where I don't pay as much attention to baseball. I don't pay as much attention to football even. And it's kind of, there's so much basketball stuff to take in that it's like, yeah, you can't really look anywhere else. It's kind of similar to like TV and like movies and music and everything in general. I don't know if you feel this way too, but like there's just so many shows, so many things to watch. Too I feel much like pop I can't, culture. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I have sensory overload. I can't take it all in. And I feel like I'm missing out and it just makes me sad. I feel like, I, yeah. like maybe like there's a good baseball player. I have no idea who he is, you know, but if, if, if there was less stuff happening in the other sports, maybe I could focus on that. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I'm no, kind of rambling, but yeah, it, no, it really is like. Do, like, do you have a list of TV shows that that you like have on uh, that you want to watch next? I don't, but I was I was just saying, uh, talking with my girlfriend at I think it was lunch or dinner the other day, where like we're just like listing things we want to watch, and it's mm-hmm. like ten, twelve deep, and I, I need to like write them all down. Yeah, no, it's because listen, like I, I haven't written it down yet because I think it's so overwhelming because I don't want to even like look at how much I, I have know. to catch up on. Which is scary in a way, and like it feels like an obligation. I'm such a completist that I can't just watch a few episodes of something. If I like, at least think it's like decent, I have to go along and finish it. And there was this great, sh- this great sketch comedy show that I know you and I both love. I think you should leave. I binged it all over the weekend. It's like super quick. Uh, I think what is it? Seven, six episodes. So- six episodes, and each of them are like fifteen or sixteen minutes long. So you can do it uh, pretty easily. Um, and I was like, oh, I loved it. It was so great. But then I'm like, I kind of want to rewatch it. But then it's like, I, there's that's 90 minutes of content that I can't be using to catch up on something else. I know. And then you like make yourself feel guilty. Like there's, you have no one to appease with this. I don't know why there's like this self shaming. I guess for like, I know. rewatching stuff or I don't know. Does does anyone else feel like this? <laughs> Tweeted us at lot Let of comments. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm deciding whether we should we should even leave this in the podcast. It's so existential. Yeah, we leave it in. You know, it's the off season now. Let the people get to know us and our neuroses. Exactly. Yeah, and we we are both very neurotic. So with that being said, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna cool down a bit, collect our thoughts, and then we'll get back on track with the basketball talk. There was some big news in Netsland today. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson a.k.a. the hyperactive hyphen, hyphen, the Nets had a qualifying offer on him after his rookie contract was over, and they declined that option. Uh, so that qualifying offer, they didn't make, they didn't extend it, so it has made him an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, Rondé, guy that had a lot of promise coming into the league, first season I, I was really high on him, but really after that he's just struggled to find a place in this Nets rotation, even though he showed some promise last season. Uh, Marcus, thoughts on this? Surprising to you? Um, give me your sense here. Yeah, I think we both kind of expected this. I don't think it's super surprising, just given, especially with the Torian Prince trade, it seems like they have kind of those guys. Maybe they'll bring in like a star level guy to push everyone down a notch, but it felt like Rondé didn't really have a role on this team. Obviously, he had like his moments. The Kings game was huge in that comeback win. He was honestly not terrible as a backup center in the Philly series once Ed Davis went down. He kind of I think got in Embiid's head at least for a second just because of the size difference. It kind of worked against Philly a little bit. But, I mean, yeah, you and I have talked about his shooting is just nowhere. He kind of gets out of control. But at the same time, he brings defensive energy that can be good if you're in need of a spark. And he's obviously a great locker room guy. Like, everyone was super happy for him after that Kings game. And I've still, like, all day today since the news broke, like, seen stuff on Twitter from 
uh, the different Nets players that I follow, just like supporting him and uh, Zach Lowe, our guy, even tweeted that he's like a, one of his favorite buy low candidates. So I think Rondé will be in the league somewhere else. Uh, hopefully uh, he can either improve his shot or maybe play more under control and carve out a role somewhere else. Yeah, you know, I, I like Rondé a lot. It just He wasn't a good fit on this Nets team, considering that their two centers this year were Jarrett Allen and Ed Davis, who both have no three-point ability whatsoever. And Rondé, it's, he's in one of those situations where he can be a useful player, but he's so hard to to be like fit around, and he's not good enough to purposely go out of your way to do that for. So just with his complete lack of any three-point shooting whatsoever, and even when he would hit one or two threes in a game, no one was going out to guard him for that third time. So the spacing was completely bucked up. His mid-range shot got better, especially the 2017-18 season, but still inconsistent. And then just trying to do way too much on offense. He's not a good finisher because he's just so below the rim. He can make some wild acrobatic finishes. But uh, I'll, I'll never forget the Pelicans announcers were just saying, yeah, like RHJ dribbles down the court like he's just completely plastered stumbling out of a bar. <laughs> Um, and it really is true. He's just always so out of control, going four on one. And when it works out, it's crazy and, and great to watch. But for the most part, it doesn't work out. Uh, so just a very limited player offensively. And then defensively, he's solid. He's switchable, but not the kind of the impact guy that I think I really expected based on his first season in the league. And then after that ankle injury, we talk about this all the time, but after that uh, ankle injury t- that ended his first season, he was just never same, the same athletically and just really played more below the rim, which was a shame for a guy that had a lot of highlight plays when he was coming out of Arizona. Yeah, it honestly reminded me a little bit of the Knicks with Iman Shumpert a few years ago where he kind of showed that defensive promise and you thought mm-hmm. like maybe he could blossom into something. Then he had a big injury, lose a lot of his athleticism and the offensive game like doesn't really follow. Shumpert like kind of found a role with this Rockets team this year like he was playing uh, like pretty consistently in the playoffs so I do think Rondé will get a shot somewhere hopefully he makes the most of it because I like from all accounts he seems like a good guy yeah and definitely I think any team with a shooting center would actually be a really uh, nice landing spot for him so maybe like uh, Denver uh, even Indiana him alongside Miles Turner I was gonna say yeah if they lose that young he could kind of he could definitely fill in that spot. Chicago, Minnesota as well. He'd be a great fit for them. Um, so I think he's definitely going to find a spot in the league. It's just he's not a good fit on this Nets team and what they're trying to build. And it's just so hard if you're a four that can't really shoot. Yeah. The last vestige of the Billy King era is gone. The longest tenured net. I know. Who's the, who is the new longest tenured net? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know. Who the new longest tenured net is? Um, I actually don't know. That's a good question. It's just, I think it's, it kind of goes to show that literally no one has been here for a long time. Yeah, Rondé's 24, and he was like the longest tenured guy. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was only his fourth season on the team. Yeah, it's insane. Who is, I, would it be <laughs> struggling right now? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, technically, they still pay D-Will, if that counts. Sure. Is it lo- is the longest <laughs> that they're paying? Dwight Howard will one day I, be the longest I actually think it's... Then. Is it Levert or... Yeah, it's Levert right now. Because he's wow. been there three seasons, slightly beating out uh, Dinwiddie, who's been here for like two and a half seasons. Mm-hmm. Man, that's crazy. That really... Is that the... That might be the... We Nets might be the team with the shortest uh, tenure... Like, with the, their shortest, longest, longest tenure player is shortest. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Or maybe the Knicks. It's crazy because it does feel like the Nets have had like a consistent roster, at least like these last few years. And like you were talking about continuity in the last segment and... 
it feels like they are like a very like tight knit group that's been together for a while, but it clearly they haven't. It's been like at most three years for some of these guys. Yeah, well, it just I think it goes to show kind of what they built in these three years, obviously doing it without a superstar. But a team that did just acquire a superstar, the Los Angeles Lakers acquiring Anthony Davis over the weekend on a Saturday afternoon, much to the chagrin of the NBA sports media who had to drop everything um, and, and go podcast and do that, all that. Me and Marcus didn't because we knew we'd get it to Monday. Yeah. But I'm sure also, Jake was, Madison... <laughs> Yeah, Jake Madison, Locked On Pels, got you the latest. Same with Anthony Irwin and Locked On Lakers. Our boy Josh Lloyd, Lloydy, and Locked On NBA. Um, but Marcus, initial thoughts on the trade. Uh, I think I saw a lot of people saying, oh, David Griffin really ripped off uh, the Lakers with all the picks and the pick swaps he got and a few nice young players, especially if Ingram ends up being okay after kind of uh, some of the the heart condition that he was going through last year obviously very scary stuff um but you know the lakers still do get ad to pair with lebron what were your thoughts on the trade yeah i mean it's kind of hard to say without knowing what some of those other like stealth offers would have been from a team like denver or portland or toronto or anyone like that but i don't know i mean there was a lot of talk like when this offer was initially on the table in february and even before that that like the lakers like didn't really have anything and they were just kind of offering like all these guys who were never going to turn into anything. And then now once the Pelicans get those guys, it's like, oh, what a, the Lakers gave up everything. But like, that's kind of what you do for a player on Anthony Davis's level. I do think that like the picks, especially those later picks are like kind of a little extra that I don't know that they had to give up because it seemed like the Celtics were out and it seemed like the Knicks were out and it seemed like the Nets, like we've talked about, were never like all the way in. So Mm -hmm. I do think that they probably gave up more than they had to, but that being said, I still think it's probably worth it because at the end of the day, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis now. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, they... It's interesting because when you look at what they gave up, I think that a lot of these guys, especially you have these underperforming um, top picks, like D'Angelo Russell, who the Nets know well, uh, obviously kind of the success stories these guys can become... Oftentimes, a guy like Brandon Ingram, guy like Lonzo, he needs to be in a different situation where his skill sets is accentuated. And I hope that's with uh, with the Pelicans for them. I think Lonzo is really going to be great with Zion. I think a guy like Brandon Ingram is just hard to fit around. I think he needs to. If he was on his own team, uh, he'd be putting up huge stats, not necessarily in a crazy efficient way. But I think he needs the ball in his hands to be effective. And he just wasn't ever going to be a good fit with LeBron. And I think it's almost the Lakers' fault for trading him, um, kind of like waiting for his value to decline and then just sending him out as as part of this package. Because I think if they had um, kind of shopped him around last offseason, he would have been a much more coveted asset. So. Um, I, I think the, it was kind of like a sunk cost for the Lakers. These guys weren't going to look good in their system. So they, um, even though they might still have a ton of potential, and I think they do, they kind of just needed to ship them out as soon as possible before their value became increasingly diminished. And, you know, the picks are another thing. I think, obviously, as Nets fans, we know uh, how valuable these picks can be and how devastating it can be not to have them for multiple years in a row. Do I think this will end up biting the Lakers in the ass? Probably, but I think that it also gives them a really nice base to work off of for this season and and the next season. I think LeBron's also going to be super, super pumped up, and I think he's going to have a great year um, if I had to bet. Yeah, and Anthony Davis, obviously, like before he was on that like minutes restriction or whatever it was in the second half of the season, he looked incredible. So, I mean, he's been durable the last few years too. He played, I think, 75 games 
like the last two years before this past year. So hopefully he plays well because uh, I think the league's better like when there's more good players, obviously. But just yeah. the, the one thing you said that like kind of jumped out at me was the thing about uh, you kind of need to put these players on the Lakers in like a new position because that makes me think of like being a like a Jets, Mets, Knicks fan. I always like anytime there's a free agent or anyone, I'm like, okay, if we sign them, they'll be terrible. But if we let them go, uh, they'll be great somewhere else. And that's kind of how I feel about like Ingram and Lonzo. Like if the Lakers had kept them, I think things would have just kind of continued as they were going. But now that they're in another situation, I feel like they could really take off. Yeah, and that's why the Lakers didn't trade them for nothing. They traded them for like, or when he's at his best, top five player in the league. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like if there was any way that they could have kept Lonzo, I think that would have been the only way to sav- salvage him on the Lakers because he would have been sick with AD. Yeah, and he like doesn't need the ball. He loves playing defense, it seems like. So, yeah, I do think he would have been a great fit. I mean, they kept Kuzma. I don't know. I'm not the biggest Kuzma yeah. guy, but I don't know. Do you think that they could have like put Kuzma in and kept one of those guys out? Probably not, right, because Kuzma's like, not as valuable. Yeah, I mean, they were really like clamoring to keep Kuzma. Apparently. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Former net yeah. pick, I guess. You know, like Kuzma is is like a top example of a guy that's really good on a bad team, and then like diminishing returns as he gets on better teams, just because his scoring he can do it in volume, but he's not super efficient, and he just can't guard anyone. So, like, imagine him in in these past couple series. Could he have really played in in the Toronto versus Warriors finals? Uh, like, yes, but not played, at a super yeah. high level. Yeah, yeah, he could have been like just in the be- rotation, but I don't think he would have been like a forty minute a night guy. Yeah, no, no one can be. No one can be a, a Fred Van Fleet type. Mm, love Fred. We all do. Okay, quick break here, and then we'll come up with some uh, some draft predictions. We're going to go more in-depth on the draft in a couple days on Wednesday, um, give you a, a quick preview the night before, but also want to mention a prospect or two right now. Marcus, let's talk a little draft. I, I love the draft. I know you're not as into it as I am, but... I'm 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 really hyped up actually. I enjoy it. I think I just don't quite dive quite as deep as you do. You know, you're you're the brains. You know, I, I just kind of sit back. I like to see the suits. I like to see uh, who's mm. with the people at their tables. You know, so I'm looking forward to that. You're more in, in it for the entertainment. Um, okay, I respect that. <laughs> Listen, Nets have two picks right now, 27 and 31, after shipping out 17 in that Alan Crab Torian Prince trade. Anyone that's catching your eye, kind of this 25 to 35 range from the mock drafts you've been perusing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard good things about Dylan Windler, the senior forward from Vel- from Belmont. Uh, he obviously is like a really great shooter. And then I was just looking at his measurements, and he's like a lot bigger than I thought he was. He's listed at like 6'7", 6'8", with a 6'10", wingspan. And so he could kind of like fill in that 3-4 spot that the Nets really need. Obviously... Like, in an ideal world, they bring in someone a little more proven, especially if they're getting Kyrie Irving and someone who can, like, kind of play now. But as a guy who's a senior, like, maybe he doesn't have as high of a ceiling, but he definitely has the shooting. And if he can, like, bring that defensive energy with his size, I think he could be, like, a really useful player. And that's kind of all you can really hope for this late in the draft. So, I don't know. Yeah, no, I I like Windler a lot. I think he's kind of uh, just, like, having a really good shooter on the team is is huge and he also has a lot of like nice value add skills pretty good passer um decent defender and and that's kind of what the nets need they need more two-way players uh one guy that i really like my boy cabangele mafondu (laughs) he's the nephew of matumbo he's actually someone like he's a good shot blocker i think his defense 
is really kind of raw and that the blocks really overrate his defensive impact. But I think with the proper coaching, he can get there. And on offense, I actually really like him. He's a decent spot-up shooter, but he's very athletic, very nimble in the air, uh, and is kind of like a classic uh, face-up four, go to the basket. So I'm kind of, he's like almost a more fluid Paul Millsap from when he first came in the league with a more developed shot. Obviously nowhere near Millsap's um, defensive profile, but same body types, a little bit taller and longer. So I actually really like him. I, I think that even though he's on the older side at 22, he's someone that still has a lot of untapped potential due to his physical abilities. Leonard Hamilton a, is a decent college coach. He, he gets good athletes, but he's not someone that's going to be able to really develop skills uh, and kind of the proper uh, proper positioning the way that Kenny Atkinson and his staff would. So he's someone that I would really want the Nets to target for his raw physical abilities. Yeah, I mean, just like kind of looking at his like bio and all the stats and stuff, he kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Knicks got with Mitchell Robinson. Obviously, Cobb is older and like maybe less raw, but he kind of has that same build where he's got like a huge wingspan and I don't know, he has the shot blocking DNA. So maybe that translates. Yep, absolutely. Other guys that like Lugans Dort from Arizona State. Gavin has been talking him up. ASU. Uh, Shimori Pons from St. John's, the local product. He's actually just like an incredible scorer. Uh, Chuma Okiki, I've been hearing a lot about him. I didn't watch too much Auburn this year. And then also Admiral Schofield, just for the, the great name alone, not even uh, not even just for his, his basketball ability. And also my boy Bruno Fernando, he a Terp. He a Terp. <laughs> so... I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of like this is. I feel like that this is the way with every draft that people say is really bad. It's like the guys from five to fifteen just get slammed, and then there's like, oh, actually, a lot of diamonds in the rough from like twenty to forty. Yeah, like and there's I feel definitely. Like, I was just gonna say, I feel like that's rarely the case where it actually turns out like that. But there have been years where like the best guys are in that range. Like I think 2013 was like that, and. There's yep. been some weird years. This, I guess, could be one of those, like, after Zion. Like, you don't really know, I guess. Yeah, and, like, even if they're they're not, like, um, legit starters, they're going to be guys in that 20 to 40 range that are useful role players. Um, and just being able to get any of these guys, you know, maybe they're not the, the highest scorers because, but I think as the NBA continuously evolves and more 3 and D guys are important, um, that's kind of the players that should be targeted. So guys that might have been flying under the radar in college whose skill sets actually translate better to the NBA than someone who might have been a go-to scorer who just won't be able to get it done in the NBA. And looking back to the 2016 draft, I mean, Karis LeVert was the 20th pick. Pascal Siakam was the 27th pick. Uh, DeJounte Murray, he's he was out this whole year, obviously, but uh, he's a guy a lot of people like, was drafted at, what, 29? Uh, Zubac was in the second round. So that you can find guys anywhere. Malcolm Brogdon second round as well. So like, there's going to be these guys in this draft where if the Nets can identify and if with either the 27th pick or 31st pick, get a guy that can play even decent minutes for them in a year or two, that's going to be huge considering how cheap these guys are. Yeah, and then like even past that, there's like the undrafted guys. Like Fred Van Vliet, who we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. was undrafted. The Raptors like didn't have a single uh, lottery pick on their team. So like it's clear that there's guys out there. It's just a matter of finding them and grooming them. Yep, James Webb third. also. Nets fans remember how good he was. Uh, he was uh, undrafted that year as well. Like, yeah, there, there's going to be guys that stick in the league, and I think especially, I, I feel like more and more some of these undrafted guys are, are, are sticking around, especially just like with the, the G League. Maybe they're more incentivized 
to as opposed to just saying hey i didn't make it let me go to europe immediately make a decent living now just saying let me go to the g league see what happens especially with things like the g league showcase it's more and more likely that if i show out i'll get a chance to prove myself in the nba yeah, and I think that with a lot of these like super teams kind of being formed and like all these max guys, like salaries a little more scrunched, and so teams are kind of having to dig a little deeper and maybe look at those G League guys more than they would have, and like they're probably more willing to take a shot on those guys just because like you need someone, you need bodies. Like that's what happened with the Rockets with Daniel House, and so I think that maybe just like the way that the league has gone has made it so that teams are looking harder than they have. Yep, no, I I completely agree with that, and I don't know, I'm really excited for the draft. I'm going to be in Denver watching it, so uh, any Nuggets fans out there, let's link up and uh, and talk a little draft. Obviously, the Nets, we're going to have Denver's pick, or no, they do have Denver's pick at 27th, so uh, maybe if they get an absolute steal, I can rub it into the face <laughs> of some, some local Coloradoans. Uh, but that's going to do it for today's episode of the Locked On Nets podcast. Appreciate you listening. You can subscribe to the podcast on the Himalaya Podcast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us. Follow us on Twitter. I am at jmbass underscore. Marcus is at Marcus Barahal. And the podcast where you get both of our tweets combined, I'd say the best way to find us is at Locked On Nets. We will be back in your ears with a pod on Wednesday uh, talking more draft than any other crazy Uh, free agency rumors or trades that happen in the meantime. And until then, be well. Bye.